This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Do you have a point of sale system you can trust or is it <clears throat> a real POS? You need Shopify for retail. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify POS has everything you need to sell in person. Go to shopify.com slash system, all lowercase, to take your retail business to the next level today. That's shopify.com slash system. Goes by the pseudonym most nerdly. It's time for the soul of excellence. He is a radio host at 77 WABC here in New York. The Rush Hour is on the air. Rush, Rush. Now here's those nerdly on the Red Apple Podcast Network. Attention, Ditto Heads. Attention, Bo Scouts. Goes by the pseudonym Bo Snurdly. It's time for the Soul of Excellence. She is a radio host at 77 WABC here in New York. The Rush Hour is on the air. Rush, Rush. Now, here's Bo Snurdly. Welcome to your Friday Rush Hour, ladies and gentlemen. If you want to be part of today's program, 800-848-WABC is the number to call. 800-848-WABC, 800-848-9222. I've asked that uh, if Mayor Giuliani hasn't left, if he can just stop in back for a minute. He's got some things to do, so he may be able to join us in a little while. I just have one or two quick questions for him. That's it. Of course, it's a treat. Every Thursday, you can hear Andrew Giuliani with me. We do a segment with Andrew every Thursday. I'd love it. I'd love talking to Andrew. He's so bright, and he's so, you know, he's so politically savvy. So, like, Giuliani and Giuliani. It's so cool. All right, now listen. I want to start today's program by calling out an American hero. Her name is Marianne Pizzatola. Who is she? Marianne has been on the program once before because I did a story and she heard about it and then we talked later on and she came on with me. The story was how the city was trying to screw over retirees of the fire department with their health care plan. And they won a big case today. Did you say Mayor's, Mayor's, he's read, Mayor Giuliani, thank you. I have to ask you this. I saw a Jennifer Rubin column today in the Washington Post. Jennifer Rubin is worried for this Fannie Willis that she's biting off more than she can chew. And she's worried that these coming indictments of Georgia may be uh, compromised because she's trying to go after too many people. She says, based on news accounts and the blabbing from a special grand jury forewoman, Willis seems poised not only to indict only Trump, but a whole flock of people, perhaps more than a dozen. Right. Including aides, lawyers, and blah, blah, blah. It'll make the case more complicated, more time-consuming. She's apparently going to try to use the RICO Act to yeah. get what she wants, <laughs> which is it's hysterical. It is hysterical. It really is. I don't know why I'm laughing. I mean, it's sad, but... But I got to ask you this, because I'm worried about you, Rudy. I really am. And here's what I'm worried about. 
You are so stoic, and you always, these people have been coming after you relentlessly. And I just want to ask you, is there any way for those of us who love you, who support what you do and what you've done, we know what they're trying to do. They're trying to bankrupt everybody around Trump with legal fees and trying to defend yourself. And so what I want to ask you is if these people end up trying to snare you into this whole Georgia thing, what can people who love you do to help show their support for you and for all the work that you've done for this country? Well, I mean, I, I think uh, trying to be as objective as I can about it, the odds are at least 50-50 that she'll include me. Uh, if she includes anybody, it would be me uh, and maybe three or four other people that would be at the top of her list. The case is absurd. It's a repetition of what's out there already. It, it can't even get tried next year, if you think about it, right? What, right. If, if they tried this case next year with eight or ten defendants, uh, he might be on trial you know, right through Election Day. And I have to believe that some court's going to intervene and say, you just, can't, you just can't negate a presidential election by putting a man on trial all year for, you know, four repetitious cases, none of which state a crime. What can they do to help me? I, I, I guess I, I'll have to consider uh, some kind of fund or so that I can, I mean, I have legal fees that are now crazy because I'm being sued, oh, I don't know, eight, nine times. We've already won three or four. I was dismissed from the case involving incitement uh, on January 6th, which, by the way, the uh, uh, Jack Smith doesn't seem to realize because he has it in his indictment. Doesn't realize I was dismissed from that case. Unbelievable. You know, he probably can't believe it. Uh, their, their, their lack of care, their uh, lack of ethics, their insane use of the racketeering statute. The, the, the president had every reason in the world to contest this election. It wasn't, it wasn't just a dream. He had facts. For example, they, they say, one of the big things they say, Bo, is, well, the attorney general told you he investigated and he found no evidence, but this is the same attorney general Bo, that hid the hard drive for a year. And you're going to trust him? Right. Why would you trust him? Right. I mean, he committed a horrendous act in doing that. He could have, he could have ended this thing with one disclosure of the hard drive. He sat there during the debate in October when Joe Biden said that Trump and I, including my name, were Russian pawns. And he had a hard drive that was validated a year earlier, showing that we weren't. And he just sat there and let the election get decided fraudulently. And also, you can't look at that hard drive if you're just a relatively intelligent person, as John Mac Isaac was, and not discover very quickly eight or ten crimes. You have a money laundering crime that... Kind of jumps the, out of the, the first, first thing page. that stands up is that 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 Hunter Biden was never a never declared himself 
a lobbyist for foreign nations. That's yeah. the first thing that just jumps out of you. How are you doing all of this, acting in this capacity as a lobbyist? Absolutely. And had he declared himself a lobbyist, then most of this would be, well, okay, he's got lobbying fees. It would have been done transparently. But he didn't. They were trying to hide it. No, and, and he says, if you go a little deeper and you spend a little time with it, you're going to find... You're going to find the text that explains the whole thing in December of 2018. For 30 years, I've been taking care of all the expenses of the family and giving right. my father half of my income. And then you can go and see him paying rent to his father, buying homes. I mean, he doesn't only say it. There'd be no reason he'd lie about it, by the way, to his daughter. But then you can find corroboration of it in the hard drive of him paying expenses. That, For example, he paid the tuition of his sister. What son pays the tuition of the sister? He paid rent to his father for a home that he, Hunter, owned. That's a way to get him the half of the income. They had uh, 170 suspicious action reports. I don't think anybody, including organized criminals, have, has more than a dozen. So... Um, the evidence against him was overwhelming. Barr knew that. And he let the whole thing go on. And right. he, could have been, he, he could have been indicted before the election even started. He could have been indicted almost a year before. So, of course, you took a, a look at all of this and decided, well, then maybe we shouldn't go with what Barr is telling us. I, I didn't trust Barr one bit. When Barr, and also I had my own information that he told the U.S. attorney in Philadelphia not to investigate, that he told the U.S. attorney in Atlanta not to investigate, that when they got information from the ATF that they were burning ballots, they sent nobody there. I, I have this in writing. I, I mean, there, Trump has, if you believe the evidence that we have, there's more than enough evidence to overturn each one of these states. Now. You have to go to trial. You have to present the evidence. Uh, it's got to get tested. But from the point of view of a lawyer, if I hadn't advocated these things, they should disbar me. My job is to make the best possible case for my client. I have to give him the benefit of the doubt. And actually, the words the law uses is that I have to interpret the facts in the light most favorable to him. And they want to put mm -hmm. me in jail for that. Well, I hope that this thing doesn't ensnare you, number one, and that, that, uh, that all of us that are fearing that they're going to try to come after you in some underhanded way doesn't materialize. And I didn't mean to put you on the spot by asking you, but I do want to know if there's anything that people can do. Not now, maybe later you, you yeah, will I, tell us pro probably after yes, we check and out and, and, and I'm, uh, the best way I'm, to help. And, and, you know, and let me just ask you one other question, unre somewhat unrelated. So today we get the news that uh, the, the current, and excuse me, I just believe he's corrupt. The current corrupt DOJ Attorney General Merrick Garland has appointed this guy, David Weiss, as special counsel. Yeah, and everybody's, whoa, whoa. I, this, is, this is the same guy that tried to give him a sweetheart deal. Why should we be encouraged about this? It's the last guy you should appoint special counsel. Right. The reason to appoint a special counsel is because of him. Right, isn't it? Exactly. I mean, he screwed up the case. He tried to fix the case. The reason you need a special counsel is he goes to court with a misdemeanor. 
case on uh, a case that should have been a 10-year, 20-year felony. And you're going to make him the special counsel? I mean, it's like, let me announce I'm going to fix the case. This is just laughable to me. But they do, they're know. doing I... this right in front of the American people. And you have these legacy media operations like the New York Times, the Washington Post. I looked the day after all the bank records were released. Do you know not one story that yeah. I, I could find? You, you, they're not even reporting to half the country that believes they are the news. They're not even well, reporting did, to their I, audience I, I what's transpiring. This is much worse than even a year ago I thought was possible. I mean, I, I can't imagine how you can just ignore this. Where's your love for America? I mean, we, we have, we're in very perilous times, and we have a president that is a 30-year criminal and, and honestly completely mentally incompetent. And nobody cares about America. Rudy, if, 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 if Mr. Mayor, if you don't say, say, okay, fine, they don't want to care about America. What about caring about their own profession and their own integrity? I'm a journalist. This is news. It should be printed. It should be available to the people that follow news. What about that? I don't know, James. I don't know. How, how can you look at the FBI 1023 in which uh, it is alleged that the president, the vice president and his son got two $5 million bribes? It's alleged by a major uh, organized criminal, Ukrainian organized criminal, and suspected murder. It goes to a very, very reliable FBI informant. And it's put in a document that's a uh, sort of a premium document of the FBI, one where you go and you get search warrants based on this. This is the kind of thing they didn't have for the FISA court. And they don't report it? When, when in the history of America would there have been a reliable report that there was a $10 million bribe to a president and it wasn't reported? Right. Never. It's astounding. We've never seen anything like this. This is what we used to talk about when we used to complain decades ago, when we used to talk about how Pravda and how the TOTS news agency kept the Russian people in the dark from things that the rest of the world knew. And now it's happening inside the United States of America. Yeah. And that's why you and I and our colleagues, and you know who they are, the group, were so important. Because we're the only ones to get it out to them. Sometimes I feel like a tremendous responsibility. I better get it out because uh, they're just not going to hear it, and they have to hear these things. It has it's to be bit... in the permanent, in, in, in this nation's history somewhere. We cannot just let this stuff evaporate into thin air. No, 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 no. That's why I, that's why I changed strategy. And when I realized the courts would not hold hearings, you know, they say I, I lost all these cases. I actually only tried one, and then I stopped. And I went to the state legislatures. Everybody else tried the rest. I thought the courts were useless. So I went to the state legislatures, and at least what I was able to accomplish there is to put their testimony under oath or in writing. So now there's a nice big history of people who testify, and it's being done to write reports. 
that show that the election was was uh, uh, fraudulent. There's a great one on Georgia that'll blow up, blow open that case done by Senator William Ligon. He interviewed a hundred witnesses. He did a very very tight good report signed on to by numerous other senators in which he shows four or five different ways how the result in Georgia was rigged. And it's not just the machines. In fact, most of it comes from the paper ballots. Yeah, and you mean the things that we were told we saw on film that we were told we didn't see? Yeah, the things we didn't after see. All the Republican, after all the Republicans were asked to leave, Right. And then, they, they then the out book. from under the table. Yeah, but we, but you didn't see that. No, no you no, saw no. it, oh, but you didn't way, see it. You know what they, they they accused me of editing the 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 video. I never, <laughs> I never, I, I never. First of all, I don't know how to edit video. Number two, <laughs> I don't know. I mean, they could put me in a test. I would not know how to do it. Number two, I never touched the video. The video wasn't mine. The video belonged to the state arena. We didn't know we had that video for 10 days. The man who owned the state arena looked at it and was shocked. And he brought it to our local council. And I arrived at the legislature that morning to present my case. And local council said to me, Rudy, I got a surprise for you. When do you see this? And that's how I got to see it. So they accused me of editing it. I've never touched it. This is amazing. But they just oh, put folks. it in there. <laughs> oh, America's Mayor Rudy Giuliani. But thank you, Mayor Jim, Giuliani. It means a lot to me what you just did. You mean a lot Touch to me. us. But thank you, Rudy. Same we love thing. you, Rudy. Thank you. We got to stick together. We're it. You got that, James Golden, right. A.K.A. Snurdly, WABC. Today, August eleventh, twenty twenty-two. David Bowie. Named Britain's most influential artist of the past 50 years. And he beat out other artists like the Spice Girls, Sir Elton John, Stormzy, and Boy George. David Bowie. Most influential artist of the past 50 years. On WABC Talk Radio 77, coming back. Your call is part of the mix today, 800-848-WABC. Stay with us. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Do you have a point of sale system you can trust or is it <clears throat> a real POS? You need Shopify for retail. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify POS has everything you need to sell in person. Go to shopify.com slash system, all lowercase, to take your retail business to the next level today. That's shopify.com slash system. Ohio, ready for some quick mental health facts? Let's go. Nearly 2 million Ohioans live with a mental health condition. In the U.S., more than 50% of people will be diagnosed with a mental illness in their lifetime. Depression is a leading cause of disability worldwide. So why are some of us still stigmatizing people living with a mental health condition when we know all of this? Let's listen to the facts and beat the stigma. Ohio, challenge what you know about mental health at beatthestigma.org. The Rush Hour is on the air. Attention Ditto Heads. Attention Bo Scouts. Rush on the Red Apple Podcast Network. 
Yeah, from the funk of David Bowie to this one. Today's the birthday of Brian Bessette, vocalist, guitarist with Wild Cherry. We kind of lit it up. 1976. Boy, Funk was taking over. Play that funky music. And it is funky, isn't it? James Golden, a.k.a. Snurley here with you on WABC. Before the mayor joined us, we were talking about a, I think she's a very heroic woman. Her name is Marianne Pizzatola. She is a former EMT, Fire Department of New York EMT. But she watched what Mayor Adams was trying to do to the retirees. There are over 200,000 of them who were promised as a condition of their employment that they could stay on Medicare and have the option of Medicare Advantage for their retirement. The mayor, Mayor Adams, swoops in, and with imperial fiat, he says, no, oh, forget about your retirement, what you were promised. Screw you. I'm going to switch you over to an Aetna plan. And these retirees, some of them said this plan doesn't work for them, but the mayor doesn't care. He's the king. They're the peasants. They're retired, so who cares about them? They're just a bunch of retired workers. Well, today. Ladies and gentlemen, in a courtroom, a trial court judge has blocked Mayor Adams from switching hundreds of thousands of retired city workers to a cost-saving Medicare Advantage plan that's run by Aetna. He blocked it. In other words, you have to honor your original promise to us, not put us on the Aetna Medicare Advantage plan. And I don't know, and I don't know whether they know, and we still don't know why exactly, except the mayor says, oh, this will save money. But who knows what else went into this decision? And excuse me for not trusting the mayor or trusting uh, uh, government bureaucrats, but anybody that believes that we ever get transparent answers from these people as to why they do things, those days are over. Anyway. Marianne is reported to be ecstatic by this in the, in the uh, brief report that I read from the New York Daily News. And she's expecting the city to appeal, and the city says they are going to appeal. But to me, it's a really simple concept. 
You promise people something in a prior administration. You promise city workers that you're going to have this, this, this when you retire. Keep your damn promise. It's that simple. Just because Mayor Adams comes in and thinks he has some better scheme. No, this is where people at least, at least, at least take the views of the retirees into consideration. Now, the mayor might say that he did that because some of their union people sold them under the bus under this deal, too, by the way. That's a whole nother deal. But at least for today, and it may be appealed, at least for today, there is a little light that the right thing has been done and that the retirees, once they retire from city service, and, and look, I'm a conservative. Okay, I'm not some big government guy that, oh, government unions, government. I'm, but the, it, this is not even about whether you're in a union. This is not about whether you're, you're, you're a big bureaucracy. This is about honor your word. It's really simple. You promise these people who have worked for the city of New York, you make promises to them while they're working. You don't wait until they're retired to try to pull the rug out from under them. Do the right thing. Why is it so hard for people to understand this basic concept? If you promise people something, then just do the right thing. Keep your promises. It's not that hard. So, Marianne, good work. And I hope that you guys continue to, to actually succeed in the courtroom and force this mayor and other government lords to keep the word that they give to retired government workers. Joe Biden, turning the page. Is asking for another $24 billion in military and economic aid for Ukraine. I don't talk about Ukraine that much. But this comes at a time when almost every American city is being overrun with illegal immigrants thanks to Joe Biden's inept management of the, the borders. You have people like Mayor Adams begging for support. You have a state of emergency declared up in Massachusetts this week because they're overrun. How many times are you going to keep going back to the American people saying, oh, you know what? Oh, uh, 24 more million, billion for Ukraine. Oh, we need another 19 billion. We need another 7 billion, another 20 billion, another 30 billion, another 40 billion. How are you going to keep one asking the American citizens to keep pumping more money into Ukraine when they see what's happening in American cities because of the ineptness of these same Democrats and all the problems that are happening in America get no attention whatsoever from these people. I think it's disgusting. James Golden, Snurley with you here, WABC. Remember this? Chris Kelly. 
Crisscross. Number one. August 11th. 1978. Actually, the single came in 1992. They were 12 and 13 years old when they did this song. WABC Talk Radio 77 coming back at you. Don't go away. Rush. It's the Rush Hour with Bo Snurdly on the Red Apple Podcast Network. you're leaving I can't believe it's true August 11th, 1962 Girl, there's just no living Before Diego's parents were born, before Pete's parents were born Neil Sedaka take your On WABC Talk Radio 77 don't you leave my heart I have vague memories of music radio Dan Ingram, BDO Household name back then And every time Neil Sedaka's name came up For some reason he was Not happy about it I don't know I never got to the backstory on that But what a song and what an artist Neil Sedaka, songwriter Breaking Up is Hard to Do, his first U.S. number one hit, reached number seven on the U.K. charts. Neil Sedaka on WABC Talk Radio 77. We are going to head to the telephones. Let's start, my friends. With Jimmy in Staten Island. Jimmy, you're on WABC. Thank you for waiting. How are you? Thank you so much for taking my call, uh, call Bob. I want, I want this question asked. Now, I've seen Democrats, when an election they thought was not right or stolen or whatever, stand up and ask the vice president to not certify it. And they asked him, do you have a senator that signed a letter? No. So it was shut down. Now, if I seen this and know this, you're telling me Mike Pence didn't know this? And if it's something he couldn't do, why does that even exist? And I also would like to know why Mike Pence, or if Mike Pence, looked at the evidence that Rudy Giuliani has that the president saw. Did he sit down and talk with them and see the evidence that they have? I doubt he did that. But yet he goes around the country saying that President Trump did not, you know, basically saying that he's lying, that the election was stolen. And everyone goes around and says, Mike Pence is this wonderful guy. So 
then you have people who listen to that. And that could be hundreds of thousands of votes in a swing because people think Mike Pence is this wonderful guy. And So you know, somebody I, the other day stood up and asked Mike Pence, Are you, uh, call him a traitor, right? They said, you're a traitor. And I didn't see what the response was from Mike Pence. But I'm going to tell you what, I can only tell you what I think. You, you raise some, you raise legitimate questions, okay? I will tell you that if you go back and you look at what we learned from the press coverage, and not just the mainstream press, because who would trust them? But this issue of whether the vice president has the authority to actually not certify the election results in the Senate, where the vice president serves, as you know, as the president of the Senate. Mike Pence believed that it is a ceremonial role only, as defined by the Constitution. Others look at the Constitution and they say, no, this is not just a ceremonial role. It really means something. The fact that it is in question, and by the way, we know that it's in question because after the election, the Democrats moved to, quote unquote, close the loopholes in this constitutional question that was undecided. But an undecided question means that you can have more than one opinion on it. The vice president at the time, Mike Pence, had his opinion. There were others that had a different opinion. That's, those are the facts. Mike Pence had an opinion and thought that he was doing, I believe, the right thing. Others look at it and said, no, you clearly have misinterpreted what this is and you're doing the wrong thing. But Jimmy, let me ask you a question. For one second, you put yourself in Mike Pence's place. If you honestly believe that it is incorrect for you to do this thing, why would you hold it against him for doing it? Well, my thought is, if I was the vice president and the president and Rudy Giuliani were saying they have all this evidence, I would have looked at the evidence and then made my decision. Well, I don't know whether he did or didn't, but I'm just asking you, and that's not the question. I'm asking you a different question. If he honestly believed that he was doing a right, the right thing, whether you think it was, whether I think it was, whether the multitude of people think it was, do we not all the time say that we want people to stand up to do what they think is right? Do we say that or not about people? Do we want people to stand up when they are firmly convinced that they're doing the right thing to stand up for what's right? Well, I believe whether he believed that or not, he had the duty to do what's right for the American people. Because so whether he but so our country's in. Okay, but so what you're saying is he should have put politics of the day ahead of what he believed was right. Well, his responsibility, I think it goes more than what he believed. I mean, a lot of people and judges believe a certain thing, but when evidence is presented to them or they think evidence might be there, they don't go by their emotions or their feelings or what they think. It goes beyond that. You have to do what's right for the country. Yeah, but you're but you're asked what, 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 what we're trying to get inside of his head here, which isn't fair. We don't know what he knew and what he didn't know. I'm saying this. Only thing I'm saying is this. 
Jimmy, I don't think Mike Pence is a traitor. I don't think Mike Pence is some evil person that had uh, uh, th- th- that was trying to hurt the United States. I think what we had here is a legitimate difference of opinion. And now you know I love Donald Trump. And you know I think what has happened in not just this past election cycle, but in election cycles before then, that we have to do a lot of work to clean up our elections in this country. But I'm not willing to throw Mike Pence under the bus, and I'm certainly never going to throw Donald Trump under the bus. So I'm not trying to split it down the middle to be, you know, politically correct. I honestly think that there was a difference of opinion here. And and that just happens sometimes. I'm going to give you the final word, Jimmy. And I appreciate your questions, and I appreciate the way that you're articulating your position too, Jimmy. And thank you for calling. You go ahead with the last word. Thank you. My last thought is... I would like someone to ask Mike Pence if he did look at the evidence, how he came about his decisions, the decision he made. If he did that without looking at the evidence that people were claiming, states were saying there was a problem, and they had senators that were going to sign that letter, they did sign that letter. I think it was his responsibility to look at that. If he didn't, then that's a big problem. If he did and still came up with what he did, then that's fine. All right. Yeah, yeah, I hear that. That's fair, Jimmy. All right, appreciate your call, buddy. WABC Talk Radio 77. James Golden, more of your calls coming up right after this. Okay, we heard Neil. We heard heard Mr. Sadaka, and, and see, maybe that's why. What else you got for me, Diego? Thank you. You know why we're playing this? <laughs> A shout out all the way down to Philadelphia. Today is the birthday of one of America's music icons, Kenny Gamble. Kenny Gamble, part of the songwriting and production team, Gamble and Huff, and then later part of the Mighty Three. Kenny Gamble, Leon Huff, and Tom Bell. They gave us the Philadelphia sound, Philadelphia International. Oh, man, so many artists, like the OJs, like this one from McFadden and Whitehead. There's been so many things that's held us down. But now they had the Jacksons for a while when Jacksons moved over to CBS from Motown. A long, long way to go. Gamble and Huff. You know Kenny Gamble. Call him and wish him a happy birthday from us at WABC. An American legend, Kenny Gamble. WABC, James Golden. It is Friday. It is our rush hour. Coming back right after this. This is The Rush Hour with Bose Nerdly on the Red Apple Podcast Network. August 11th, 1956. Elvis Presley. 
releases a double-sided single. You know what's on it? Ow, baby. Don't be cruel on one side. Ain't nothing but a hound dog on the other. Both songs hit number one. And they remain there for 11 weeks. The King, Elvis Presley, Don't Be Cruel. Nothing but a hound dog. On WABC Talk Radio 77. What a rich day in music history. What a time for me to remind you, too, that tomorrow morning, bright and early, 7 a.m., you can join us for the Saturday morning radio extravaganza here on WABC. From 7 o'clock until 10 o'clock, we'll be with you. And, of course, your calls are welcome then. And there's a lot more we're going to discuss on Saturday that we can't get to during the week. But we'll do our best. Tomorrow, by the way, people always say, well, music. We've got a lot of music tomorrow, too. We have, we have to plan this stuff in advance. I'll tell you some of the people we're going to talk about tomorrow, musically. Les Paul. I can't wait for that because Les Paul kind of, you know, you know, you know, you're somebody in the music industry when not only do you play an instrument and you are rewarded with public acclaim for your virtuoso in playing, but when your name becomes synonymous with an instrument, and Les Paul has done that for guitar, so we're going to talk about Les Paul tomorrow. Lionel Richie will appear with us tomorrow, as well as the Commodores, Alice Cooper, Led Zeppelin, The Beatles, Sir Mix-A-Lot, Culture Club, Pat Metheny, Minute Work, Kid Creole. It's going to be jam-packed tomorrow on WABC Talk Radio 77. Now, here's something hopeful, my friends. Virginia Tech has officially announced that it is going to eliminate considerations for not only affirmative action, but for the legacy admissions. This is a big deal for the left, and I wonder how some of you feel about it. I went to Harvard, therefore, and I paid my dues, and I also donate. Therefore, my kid gets to go and have preferential treatment when it comes to admissions in Harvard. Well, that happens at universities all across the nation, but Virginia Tech, when the Supreme Court announced we're going to stop using race-based and turn to merit and admissions, which is the way it should be, the left then turned its sights on legacy admissions and said, oh, if you're going to get rid of that, make sure you get rid of these legacy admissions because they benefit the quote-unquote privileged. And Virginia Tech has taken that step. Virginia Tech says that each summer the university reflects on the latest admission cycle and adjusts its procedures in advance of the next one. For this coming admission cycle, changes include discontinuing the early decision option, formally eliminating legacy as a factor. And by doing that, they say they will be complying with the recent U.S. Supreme Court ruling to remove race and ethnicity as an explicit factor in the admissions process. 
So we'll have to see if they are alone or whether other colleges will come up. Now, what has not happened this week, what we do expect to happen next week, and you'll join us here, the Hunter Biden scandal isn't over. Republican James Comer has said that Eric Sherwin will testify in coming days before the House Oversight Committee. Who is he? He's another one of Hunter Biden's business partners. This guy visited the White House at least 19 times during the Obama administration when Joe Biden was vice president. And this could dispel any doubt as if there were any left that Joe Biden was in on the business relationships of his son. There has been communication between the offices of Mr. Sherwin and the House Oversight Committee. This guy, Hunter Biden's business partner, met with the the president, now President Biden, when he was vice president. And he did the books. Apparently, he knows where the money is. He apparently had the authority to deposit checks and write checks on behalf of Joe Biden. And his name is affiliated with some of these shell companies that the Bidens operated. So this whole thing could be falling apart. That's it, my friends. Time's up. Sorry, we couldn't get to more calls. 800-848-WABC for tomorrow morning. May God bless, protect each and every single one of you, your family, your loved ones. Love, gratitude for your being here today. God willing, we'll see you here tomorrow, 7 a.m. Bye.